0: Good evening to everybody. Uh, if you were in the Caribbean, I would have said good night. Um, that's We use good night like you use good evening. When we say good night, we are not necessarily going to bed. Um, we're just saying good evening. I uh, want to, first of all, just say thanks to uh, the leadership of this congregation for uh, choosing to give me the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Um, I was actually um, my adopted, unofficial adopted father. Um, Kind of mentioned that uh, he thought it would be a good idea if I would have something to share, because I would be in this area at this time. And um, I never really take for granted um, for a leadership to say, put enough trust in you to put you in in their pulpit. So thanks. A vassal, if he's, I don't think he's here tonight, so I'm this morning. But this is my second time here. For those of you who may remember, I was here sometime before. Uh, Our scripture uh, is going to be Matthew chapter 18, from verse 15, and uh, particularly to verse number 17. I will try my best to speak. If you see me trying to speak slowly, I, I speak. Faster, naturally, as a Caribbean person, but I do realize that when we speak fast, you you can't understand much of what we say. Um, Our dialect is a little bit hard on the American ear uh, sometimes. I'm really trying to measure myself in terms of how I I speak. Uh, Matthew chapter eighteen, verse fifteen to seventeen. If your brother Sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And this passage uh, has been debated a lot as to exactly how it functions in the role of uh, mending of relationships between brethren and even uh, with congregations. And so I, my approach to this passage tonight is basically going to be to invite you into somewhat of a conversation. I want to treat it more as if I'm comparing notes with you, um, rather than just you know telling you stuff, and I, I just see that as an invitation to kind of walk this journey with me, um, because I want to share some things which I know um, may not be the general way we have looked at the passage. So there are a couple of things here, and first of all, one of the things I want to point out, as I talked about this passage just now. There is a saying in Jamaica that teeth and tongue must meet. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Teeth and tongue must meet. And what it means is that your teeth and your tongue exist in this space. And because they exist in this narrow space and they function uh, from time to time, I don't know if it has ever happened, happened to you, maybe you're not probably as awkward as I am, but from time to time, I my teeth bite my tongue. And, and that's what the saying is, that um, from time to time, your tongue will get in the way of your teeth or your teeth get in the way of your tongue. And so in Jamaican language, what that basically means uh, is, especially for people who are in family or in close-knit communities, you are naturally going to have disagreements, you are naturally going to find that there's offense, Uh, there are going to be conflicts, there are going to be confrontations, because it just naturally happens. Wherever you have a group of people living in a community as human beings, because people are different, naturally, um, we tend to have clashes, and that's just natural. But community for Bible people, um, people of the book, uh, I want to say uh, anybody who is an ardent student of the Bible understands that in the Bible, community is superior to individuality. The individual is not as important as the community, and that sounds strange to our Western ears. Because the West, for many years, has functioned as an individualistic society. It doesn't mean that we don't have any sense of community, but our primary mode of function as a society is individualistic. And I want to say something to you, help us to understand this passage. The biblical world is a society based on honor and shame. Primarily, And I believe that as God chose that world through which to bring his revelation to us, that's no coincidence. Because there are many aspects of that society that is very much in line with the character and will of God for human relationships. Especially when it comes to honor and shame. And in an unashamed society, and by the way, even today, more than 60% of the world's total population operates on an unashamed basis. We may not necessarily think of it like that, but it is true. Big parts of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, these are unashamed cultures where the honor of the community is really, really very important. And the individual right oftentimes has to be sacrificed for the honor of the bigger society. And so the Bible, the revelation of God about who God is and what God wants of us and how God wants us to be is couched in this social structure of honor and shame. But for many years, we in the West, we have read the scriptures through Western eyes and we have missed a lot of this unashamed reality in text. And so when we talk about this passage here in Matthew 18, if your brother, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell tell him, His offense. As a matter of fact, if your translation says tell, uh, a better read would be more like to show him. Show him how he has offended you. Show him. And actually, the word carries a stronger sense of convince him. Try to convince him of how he has offended you. That's the sense. Go tell him his offense between you and him alone. And there's this question is this now an offense that's personal or is it an offense that's church? I'm convinced that the offending issue here is personal, not church. And the big reason why I believe that is that in the original language, the Greek use their plurals, use and singular use. Very important. The English doesn't have so much of a plural "use." We don't make the distinction between a plural you and a singular you as much as the Greeks do. So we just say you. Well, you Americans, you say you all when you really want to talk about a plural you. In Jamaica, we say uno when we mean a plural you. You, plural. But for Greek, they have specific words for that. And so it helps us with text like this. The you here is Singular. If your brother offends you, singular, you go and tell him his offense between you and him. You convince him of his offense to you between you and him. That's very important. Why? On a shame. You want to preserve the honor of people in community. And so one of the ways you do that is you discuss his offense to you between You and him alone. It doesn't need to be something you go and tell ten other persons before you talk with him. Because what that does, it destroys the whole business of honor in a community. And that is why gossiping and all that is really deadly for church. Because it destroys community harmonious honor. And it does not really help in preserving the honor of the community So the passage says, no, you do that. And I think we all understand that I don't need to elaborate on that too much. But if he doesn't hear you, if if he's not convinced by you confronting him, and that is normally hard, it's usually hard for us to be the one who go and says to a brother, you have offended me, and I need you to see your offense. But if he doesn't, if you are not able, between the two, one-on-one to convince him. Then you go, the text says, and you get one or two other persons and then you try to get him to see his offense to you. But before you get to that one or two persons, there's something he says. If he listens to you, he says you have gained your brother. And I I find that word gain important because it's not just, well, you have won his favor. It's literally a relationship where this person has become a part of you and that's how important community was that it's not just somebody you have convinced him you have won you have won the argument you have showed him that he's wrong and you are right the passage more speaks to you have you have won it's like you have you have gained something that you have lost by virtue of the breach a similar language that Paul would use, like in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse nineteen, where Paul says, Though all things are lawful to me, I have become all things to all men that I might do what? That I might win some. That's the same expression, that I may win. He's focusing on winning getting people to become part of what he is and who he is. It's the same language that Peter will use in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. When he says to the wives, Wives, if your husbands may not listen to you by your words, you are able to do what? To win him by your manner of life. To win him. To, well, he's already yours. He's already your husband. <laughs> so what is this winning? Is That you want him to be more akin to you. In sense of becoming a part of this community that you are part of. And that's the sense. So so the brother who has offended you, if if you can confront him um, one on one, nobody else needs to know. Because this is not a public offense. This is a personal offense. But you know that this brother has offended you. And so you go to him, and if he listens to you, you have won him. There's no need to take the matter any further. It's dead. It's done. But if he doesn't listen to you, you get this one or two persons and you bring him. And then if he doesn't listen to them, then he says take it to the church. But for, before we get to the church, I want you to see how this shame issue plays out again. Because in Eastern shame societies, mediation is much more crucial to their uh, strategy of resolving issues between parties than it, than it is in the West. And we have seen it in scripture. Maybe we don't even recognize it very much, but we have seen it in scripture. Do you remember in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13 that as Jesus uh, walked through his his, on his journeys, teaching, there was a man in a crowd who says, Rabbi, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide inheritance between. Well, really? Just like that? But in that kind of society, they will prefer indirect approach than direct approach a lot to things because they value mediation. And that is why, if you wonder why the whole idea of mediation is so prominent in the gospel and the role of Christ, because the society is at peace with mediation and they understand the role it plays Sometimes it is best to have mediation. If personal confrontation you suspect may not go well, have somebody mediate for you. And that is common. We may find that strange. You see it also when Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha in the same Gospel of Luke. Well, he gets into the house and Martha is busy preparing dish for the guests. Mary is sitting at the guests' feet. And imagine this. If you go into somebody's house and one is preparing meal and the other is listening to what you have to say and the one who's preparing the meal were to say to you, uh, he says, um, Jesus, don't you care that my sister have me alone working? Well, what business of that of mine? I'm just a guest. That's, you see, that's our Western way of looking at it. But in that culture, that was normal. She is rather than confronting Mary directly, She's saying to Jesus, you tell her, she literally said, you tell her to come and help me. And then Jesus said what he said to Martha. Matt, well, you're concerned about something that is not very important. But the, the, the whole function of mediation, you see how it works in the society, they had no problem getting a third party involved. And that, was, that is culturally expected. It's normal to get a third party involved. So Jesus says, then if he's not listening to you directly, then do the typical cultural normal thing to do. You go and get somebody to mediate and say, could you then be a mediator between us? Again, why do you have this mediation? For honor. You don't want it to be said that this person... It's witness, they become witness. If the person is listening, they're listening to the argument and the person is saying, I don't think I offended you or whatever, then at least there is a witness. So your honor is preserved. And the person who has offended you, who you're confronting, his or her honor is preserved also by virtue of having witnesses. See, so There's a lot about honor. And if you understand what's going on here, in, in Matthew chapter 18, the whole chapter is about uh, offenses, and honor. How does it start? Disciples are grumbling about who's the greatest. You see? Teeth and tongue must meet. So even in the band of the disciples, they're having issues. Now, you remember in in one gospel also, the the ten, remember the ten, they reacted really badly to the two, James and John, whose parents asked Jesus to give my sons seat on your right hand when you come. And the ten, they were indignant. You remember that in Mark gospel. So that's going to happen. And this is the community of of the the disciples around Jesus. But he is trying to teach them this is going to happen in the community that I create as, as a family. The church was not yet established. And so, even though the church, so to speak, was not yet established as we They were still a community. And I want to pin this in there, therefore. That is why he says, if he does not hear the two of you, or the two or three, then then you take it to the church. And so somebody says, "Well, well, how could it be because the church is not yet established? And that's really because there's a misunderstanding of what ecclesia means. Ecclesia in the Greek simply means an assembly or a congregation or a gathering. That's what it means. And you could check any good lexicon or any good writer that you know in the church, and that's what it means. So they are already an ecclesia. They are already a community. Twelve they may be. They are a community. And he's saying to them, if one of you have this problem, then if you can't resolve it between two, then bring it to the community. Get the community to weigh in on this. Now, in in our world, now where we have congregation of how many people here? Do we need to get all 300 of you involved? I'm not sure what that looks like. I must be honest. I'm not sure what it looks like. But the point is you get the community involved. And if he does not hear the community, and this is where the problem comes for a lot of us now, and this is where I think the great lesson is, if he doesn't hear the community, let him be to you. To you who? Who? And I find it amazing that when we look at this passage, all of a sudden the passage moves from the personal to become congregational and we make it then a church discipline issue. He must be to the church now as a publican and a tax collector or a sinner and a publican. Well, the you there is singular still. Let him be to you the one he offended as a publican. Or a tax collector. This is not the church. The you there is singular. Well, is it you somebody say, Well, I don't think it matters. It does. Because remember, we use the same plural, singular use in that same chapter to show that that is why when Jesus says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind and nurture be born in heaven. In chapter 16, the you is singular. I give to you, Peter, the keys. Singular. Chapter 18, he says, same chapter we're in, he says, whatever you bind in heaven, and that you is plural. But the you in verse 17 is singular. So, if I understand this correctly, what Jesus is saying is that you who have been offended, you are trying to resolve this conflict in a way that preserves honor. So, you take it, you go, you're not getting any success. You bring two or three, you're not getting any success. Okay, fine, try again. Bring it to the community. Get the community way in. If this person is still not here in the community, then you let this person who has offended you be to you as a tax collector or a pagan. Well, what does that mean? We have generally understood it to mean that he should be excommunicated or, as you say in the Caribbean, read out of church. But I wonder, Matthew was a tax collector. But remember that? What do tax collectors need more than anything else in the life of Jesus? You think of every episode that Jesus interacted with a tax collector. How did that turn out? Think of it for a minute. How did it turn out? It always turns out with Jesus treating the tax collector in a way that other people think that tax collectors did not deserve to be what? Treated. Zacchaeus, Matthew himself to Pharisee and a tax collector went to pray. Who did Jesus praise? Would the community be praising the tax collector? No. But Jesus did. And I'm suggesting to us, and as I say, I'll be comparing notes. If I'm understanding this correctly in this light of what he's trying to teach. You, he has offended you. Well, you can treat him, let him be to you as a tax collector or a pagan. And what does a tax collector and a pagan need more from the disciple of Christ? Mercy and grace. You can choose. You can choose to extend that to him, even if he does not hear, even the church. Because the offense is to you, singular. This is not an offense in the troll church. If it's, an, it's that, Paul deals with that type of thing. Here, I, if I say that when I was looking at this, most of the commentators I read, interestingly, they all mention and I'm not saying there's no commentator who doesn't mention it otherwise, but for the ones that I have looked into, they all highlighted the fact that this passage does not say anything specifically about church, discipline, congregational discipline. But for some reason, they managed to still say, "Well, it must be meaning that." But I'm saying, why? Why cannot I understand that what he's saying is that you, the individual, you you can look at this person who has offended you and treat him like a pagan or a tax collector. You can then say, you know what, you need grace. You need mercy. And I can extend that to you, even if you do not ask for it. And that's one of the problems with us, the passage. Forgiveness is one of those things. We can give it even if people do not ask us for it. We can do that. Because if we hold on to offenses until the person acknowledges that they have offended us, what kind of life would we be living? And I find this helpful. And I'm suspecting that this may be the lesson Jesus is trying to teach because there's nothing there about the church taking discipline. As I said... Let him be to you as a tax collector or a pagan is singular. He's still the one who was offended. He is the one who's still addressed by this. Let him be to you as a pagan or a tax collector. You can treat him like a pagan and a tax collector. And if you are my disciple, how do I treat pagans and tax collectors? For those who know the life of Jesus knows that very well. It's always where he's opening to them the opportunity to say, I can be merciful. I I can give you acceptance that the world would not have given you. I can give you what the world have not given you. And it's a hard thing for us because we, we want so much our right. Well, to go back to this honor shame, Jesus' point is what is more important, your right or the honor of the community. Paul himself would have said that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is where Paul says, why not be defrauded? You are in the right, but why push your right to the point where you destroy your brother? Why push your right to the point where you bring shame? That's a word that Paul used right there in that passage. It is not to your honor, it is to your shame that you bring your brother to court. Why not suffer the wrong?" That's that's within your power. He's not saying the the brother may not even admit, say, he has wronged you. He may not even apologize that he has wronged you. Paul is saying, well, take it, suffer the wrong. For the sake of the community and the honor and the dignity of the community, why not be defrauded? Why not suffer the wrong? It's right there. So if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6... And I just really want to read from verse 3. Do you not know that we, were to, we are to judge angels? How much more than um, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. It's amazing how many times honor and shame appears in the New Testament and is ignored. Because most of us read the New Testament through Western eyes, not Eastern honor-shame cultural eyes. And so we miss that. What he's concerned about here is the shame of the whole community. And he says, your right is not as important as the honor of the community for which Jesus died. You can't make that choice. And I think that's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Let him be to you as that. You can extend to him what I extend to publicans and pagans. There's nothing here to suggest that he's asking the church to excommunicate this brother. Nothing. He just says, let him be to you. He, he doesn't hear you. He doesn't hear the witnesses you brought. He doesn't hear the wisdom, the collective wisdom of the church. Well, let him be to you as a publican. That's how it ends. A last passage I want to share with you um, in the wisdom the Bible. Look at Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter nineteen. And um, in the Caribbean, we easily preach for hours. So, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, in Proverbs chapter nineteen and verse eleven, very important. I always find this passage really, really helpful. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, "Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense." You can't do that. We can overlook an offense. For what? For the sake of the honor of the church. Why push my right? to the limits that I destroy the honor and dignity of the community. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is to his glory to overlook an offense. And I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says to this man, let him be to your publican and a sinner you can let that go and treat him as one who stands in need of grace and mercy. You don't have to carry that. Just to show you again how this singular plural thing works, I won't spend my time. You remember in Luke chapter 22, and for many years, I think I have misunderstood this and I've seen people in church misunderstood it, it, where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And I'll ask people in my Bible class, well, who does Satan desire to save? And they say, Well, it says so. He says to Peter, Satan desire to save you. But in the language, it's very, very clear. What Jesus says to Peter, Satan desired to save you, plural. He desired to save all of you. <laughs> very interesting. All of you, Satan wants to sift. But he says, I have prayed for you, singular. That when you, singular, has recovered, you will be able then to assist your brethren. And I just cited that to say that the language, this plural, singular, and plural, you, for Greek is very important. Our English, because we, we do not have that type of structure, it obscures in the text. Because who's going to put in the text you all? Or uh, Unu? <laughs> I'm going to do it. We're just going to put you. I think the same thing is going on in Matthew chapter 18. This is a personal matter. You are offended. You try to get, use mediation, which is a cultural thing to do. The mediation is failing. The mediation even fails at the level of the community. Well, you can choose to do this. Why? For the honor and dignity of the body for which Christ has died. It, it the community, the collective body of Christ is more important. That's why Paul says, would you then exercise your liberty and destroy the one for whom Christ has died? You can choose. And I think that's the challenge in that passage. I hope what I've shared with you is helpful. If it doesn't, then, of course, you can, you can do without it. I hope it does, but that's what I want to share with you for tonight. And I hope it benefits you in some way.